Scramble Founders. Hi, this is Adrian from Clean Voice. And this is Mash from Sparrow. And today we'll be talking about standing out as a founder. Now, this topic is a very, it's a very obvious topic. I think we all get pitched the idea of standing out as a founder, building a brand new product, going from zero to one. You know, the Peter Thiels of the world, they'll always tell us to build something that's remarkably different build something that's 10x better than your competition. I'm not going against that idea because obviously it's Peter Thiel. However, I believe that 80% of the founders who are building businesses, regardless of their age, needs to start somewhere that's not a moonshot. And what a moonshot is, is like brand new product that just revolutionizes everything. You know, it uses all those big boy, bad dog keywords, you know, the bad wolf keywords. But Really, when you're trying to stand out as a founder, based on what I know, you have to start in a place that's understandable for you and your co-founder or your team. And what that means is, and I guess I'll just start with an example. When Sparrow first started, I quite literally just copied someone else's business model and literally everything they do. I did not care enough about building a very unique business because I just wanted to get my feet wet. And even till this day, I think that was the right decision. I didn't, and I still don't believe that if I wanted to start something brand new with the, you know, never seen before business model, I mean, what, to be honest, like why? A lot of people on Twitter, especially, they'll talk about building a business that's basically copying someone else's, but then tweaking it a little bit. And if you do that right, if you actually keep an eye on your product's positioning, how your customers are using your product what people are saying they love and hate about your product, et cetera, over time, your product will improve. Over time, your pricing will change. Your product's offerings will change. Your features will improve, et cetera. But you don't have to start at the top of the mountain. You can start by copying what someone else is doing and tweaking it a little bit and still make enough money to be ramen profitable. So that's, that's, that's my perspective, Adrian, around this topic, because I think a lot of times founders kind of go down the trap of, and I've spoken to many founders who, you know, they'll, they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, hey man, I want, I want your opinion on this idea, right? And they'll say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm just going to, you know, totally copy this super big competitor. Sure, dude. But like, can you really copy a business model that's been maturing for 10 years and, you know, like start small, start niche, copy stuff. But don't overburden yourself by trying to be brand new with something fantastic, at least not in the beginning, because as a first time founder or a solo entrepreneur, you are more likely to get overwhelmed if you have that mentality from the first second. That's that's my opinion, Adrian. What are what are your thoughts? I'm curious around this topic. Let's go first on what you said on moonshot ideas. Now, I think moonshots do have their place in this world. But as a bootstrap founder, it's quite hard to do that, mainly because it's a big challenge as a solo founder or a bootstrap founder to pursue it. And the reason is that not only you have to find a way to make a business run, what are the processes, what are like how people would perceive it, how would you market such unique product, you, you just have a lot of things you have to learn in business while creating a totally new product category. But if you take a 
product which already exists, then you can learn from your competitors processes, you can learn the business models. And overall, a lot of the work has been done for you. And you just need to focus on a smaller part of the business, aka finding a particular niche in that space where you can focus and build then a product unique position to that to that particular customer base. And that pro- sounds more easier than to invent the whole wheel. And as a when you're bootstrapped and especially solo founder, you cannot afford that. And if you look at on indie hackers, the startups which were successful, they mainly focus on a niche on an existing market, and they build a product for that. And why sh- should you not do that for the beginning? Yes, a 10x business is amazing. You can do. Peter Thiel has a good point on that when it comes to revenue. But that doesn't, but you don't need to build a billion dollar company. And most people, I don't think, want to build one. And most people are happy with, let's say, run profitability, but I don't know, 10K per month, maybe 20K per month. And those things can be achieved with current business models and just uh, entering in the space which already exists and not trying to completely change the world. You can just change your community. That's all enough to reach a profitable business. Yeah. And thank, thanks for that. Thanks for that perspective, Adrian. And I think, so I was, I was reading a book the other day about, um, how, about the principles of building businesses. It's, it's called $100 million offers by Alex Ramosi. And he touches upon some of the things that you mentioned, Adrian, and mentions a few more points. And I kind of want the founders on this podcast or this episode to walk away with a few things they can think about when it comes to their product or service. And so I'll, I'll, I guess I'll just start off with the, with the points that Alex talks about in his book. The first one says, in order to really stand out from other businesses, you have to, you know, surprise, surprise, differentiate yourself, right? But doing it in a way that makes your product or service offering very difficult to compare to other businesses. Now, keep in mind, this book gives general advice. It may or may not apply to every kind of business that you run. And your own context and your own product and your own jobs to be done determines how you apply these principles that Adrian and I are about to share. But these principles are true and they do help. So we highly encourage you to think about it. So what did I say? I said, differentiate yourself and make yourself hard to compare with your competitors. What that means is the way you help your customers, the way you solve their pain points must be presented or offered in a way that makes it very difficult for your customer to compare to other services. Because the moment they start comparing to other services, and if you're a one-to-one match, what they do intuit, not intuitively, um, what's the word? What they do mentally is they try to subconsciously compare prices. Oh, wait, you know what? Adrian's giving me the exact same thing that John's giving me. Well, but John's tool is cheaper and does the same thing. Adrian, like, why should I buy your product? You don't want customers asking you that. I don't. And so what I've done with Sparrow is I actually started off copying, let's say, competitor A. But then as the product matured and we had more and more founders get help from our advisors and actually walk away feeling very happy, I actually started looking at my own business plan and business model, whatever, and look, thinking, wait a second, I'm literally just like my competitor, but a little bit different, but not really that different. After reading this book, the second point the book says really made me think differently. So number one was differentiate, make yourself very hard to compare to others. Number two is value to price discrepancy. What that means is 
the way you should structure your product or offering should make the customer feel like they're getting so much value from your product that the price you charge them will seem ridiculously low. Now, here's the caveat. This doesn't mean that you're actually pricing your product very cheaply. You're pricing your product the way it should be, but because of how you structure your offering to your customers, your customers must believe that the value, the pains you're solving for them, etc., are so much bigger that you should be charging them even more. They should look at your product and think there's something wrong with your pricing model because it's quote unquote too cheap. Major, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, but one thing I want to touch upon is there is a slight disclaimer here. The price to value discrepancy, the value you, you promise to deliver on should not be something that makes it extremely difficult for you to run your business. It should be something that solves the customer's problems and the rejections or the objections they have in mind for you. However, it shouldn't be something that makes it tremendously difficult. So if you're running a gym membership service, something that's ridiculous to offer is, oh, you'll walk the person to the gym every day from their house. Like that's, that's, that's odd. But one thing you could say is, oh, after completing their 14 days of gym membership, right before they finish their trial, you will sit down with them for 20 minutes and make them a personal diet recommendation so that they can use it even if they don't join your gym. Well, that's not that hard to deliver, but how many gyms do you know are actually doing that, right? So that's like a price to value discrepancy. And so Adrian, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around the whole price to value discrepancy point I just brought up. I think one thing to add is try to find a, especially for founders who are following this bootstrap solo approach, you should try to find area, a market where the product doesn't cost $3 per month. It should be something more on the $10, $50, $100, ideally more and is better in this case. And the reason is that besides bringing, bringing a lot of value to your customers and differentiating yourself in that way, um, it's important to find a market where you can build a business around. It's very hard to sell Let's say if your product costs three dollars per month, it's very hard to sell thousand subscriptions than getting from thirty dollars just hundred customers. So it is something you should definitely consider when you build your product. And most of the time, the value you bring on should be at least worth more than ten dollars per month. That's something which you should definitely consider. So if you just giving you one example maybe from the tech world, let's say you do a to-do app and you make one-on-one onboarding so you help them to get productive with their to-do app. Um, then if your to-do app just costs like $3 per month, it's very hard to scale that business and not even scale. Even if you spend time with 1,000 people individually, it's just very hard to acquire 1,000 people as customers. So this is something you should be definitely careful of when building. And this brings us to our next point, Mash, which is about the growing market, right? And I think you you hit that point, on, hit that nail, I think it's called in English, but you hit that point really well. Uh, building a product around a growing market and to build, to just extend what Adrian was saying, do your research, guys, right? Like don't just jump into a field that you're very passionate about and build out a product for six months and then start marketing and realize, wait a second, nobody wants to buy it. Classic story. Those are the kinds of founders we love helping at Sparrow because we respect the hustle. We respect the technical expertise that you guys bring. But that's where I connect you with advisors to help you with the marketing side, right? Like how do you take your gorgeous product and actually get customers? Shameless plug. But 
building on Adrian's point, picking a growing market. And when you do your research, there's so many websites with good data on what works and what's expensive versus what's cheap and doesn't work. Starterstory.com is a great place. You can go on there, read a few stories about SaaS businesses that are making 5, 10, 20, 30K a month, right? Like get comfortable with these big numbers. Bear Metrics is another app. If you type in onto Google, Bear Metrics Open Startup, you can again look at a lot of, I think there's maybe 12 or 15 companies who have their metrics openly displayed. And you'll be able to see a few startups that are making all the way from, I think a thousand MRR all the way to like, a million in MRR, crazy stuff, right? Um, obviously, the revenue is not just the one thing you should be looking at. You should also be seeing how many competitors are in that specific field. But to avoid overwhelming you guys, the idea is to for you to understand what is an industry that you're comfortable building in, that you think you have the expertise for. But before you jump right in, do your research, pick a growing market, and really think through how you can tweak stuff that's already in the market to be a little bit better. And Adrian and I can make another episode about how to do customer research, especially in the beginning, because I think him and I had to do quite a lot of it. But a few more points I want to hit with you guys before this episode ends is when you're building a product and when you're building your offer for your customers, whether it's a service business that you're building, a SaaS or whatever, there's really a few points you need to keep in mind. Number one, your job as a founder is to make the customers realize the value of their actual dream. Human beings are very emotional. We're visual. We love to see, feel, hear, touch, right? Literally, these are the five senses, I think, four or five, five. You need to make sure that you help them visualize that dream. Make them see what they really want. Get them excited. Get them emotional in a good way, right? In a positive way. Get them attracted to the idea of where they want to be. And then increase their perceived likelihood of success. So what that means is a lot of times folks like yourself, me, Adrian, when we want to reach a big goal, we often feel the friction, the inertia, the, the thought that, you know what, it's such a big dream. Ugh, will we really be able to reach $1,000 MRR? Does it really work? And so your job as a founder is to make them realize that they can achieve their dream and also help them increase the likelihood that they would achieve that dream. Help them believe that they can actually get it done if they put in, put in the action. So if my customers are founders like you, but your customers could be different. Your customers could be B2B, B2C, we don't know, but that's fine because the principles remain the same. And lastly, reduce the time delay and the effort to achieve their objective. What that means is again, you want them to understand that they can achieve their dreams and also help them reduce the time and effort it takes to get to their dream. And one quick tip here, Adrian, that I personally learned is when someone buys your service or product, help them get a quick win in the short run. For a service business like mine, you would have to be involved with the customer to make sure they're getting what they want. For a product, it might be different for a SaaS. But the idea is when they pay two or three or four figures per month for your product, help them get to their most crucial pain points or help them solve their most crucial pain points as soon as possible after they purchase your product. Because when they make that investment with you, they want to walk away feeling like they've actually achieved something and that their investment was worth it. And it's just more of a psychological thing that I've picked up from Alex's book, $100 million offers, great book. Uh, but these are things that can definitely help you think better, think how your customer would actually perceive your product 
and ultimately build something that customers will buy and will be very proud to use. And as a founder, you should be happy too, because you build something people are using. That's the whole point of it, right? It's not about you. It's about the customer. Jeff Bezos. Yeah, and we're going to leave it on that. It's not about you and it's about the customer. Till next time.